Exodus, where Moses again and again goes to Pharaoh and asks him to release his people from slavery. And each time, Pharaoh agrees and then changes his mind, at which point God sends um, a plague in each incident. We have three readings, which are little snippets today from the next three plagues. So, there are three readings. We can find the first one in Exodus 9, and it's verses 13 to 26. So, Exodus 9 and verses 13 to 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants, and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourselves against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall such as never been seen before in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. And our second um, reading is going to be in Exodus 10, so just a a little bit further on, and it's chapter 10, and it's the first six verses, 1 to 6. So Exodus 10, verses 1 to 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell them, tell in the hearing of your son, and of your grandson, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourselves before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country. And they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have sinned from the day they came on the earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. And the third reading we can find just a bit further on in the same chapter, so we're still in chapter 10, and it starts at verses 21, reading through to 29. So 10, 21 to 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all people of Israel had light where they lived, 
Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to our Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, take care never to see my face again. From the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. And we look forward to hearing what John has to speak to us about later on from those passages. We're going to sing our second song now and afterwards um, the children please come up to the front. Uh, Mark's going to be giving you the children's talk so feel free to come up when the song finishes. But our second song is The Lord's My Shepherd, I Will Not Want. He makes me lie down in pastures green, he leadeth me the quiet waters by. Oh, 
Can any of you tell me, what is your favourite meal? Your favourite dinner? Go on. Hot sausages. Oh, yeah. Hot sausages. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, what do you like? Macaroni cheese. These are good. Yeah, good choices. Yeah. Pizza. I thought that might come up. Pizza's a good one. Any others? Yes. Seafood. What a strange family. Well, there you go. Seafood. <laughs> Lovely, I can imagine that. Wow. I, I still don't like much seafood. Wow. Very advanced taste. Uh, anyone else? Now, what about vegetables? Do you like vegetables? Put your hand up if you like vegetables. Yeah, I thought that might be about right. Right, who can shout out some vegetables? Just shout them out. Carrots? Peas? Beans? Broccoli? What I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to reveal a vegetable from here, okay, and I want you to shout out, first one to shout out what it is wins. Does that make sense? Right, so just nice loud voice, give me a good shout. Right, uh, let's go, boom. Mushroom, that took longer than I thought. Right, uh, what about this one, you ready? Pepper. Yeah, pepper. Uh, hmm, you ready? Brussels sprout, full name, look at that. Uh, whoops. Onion, yeah, not potato, that's an onion. Uh, right, what about this one? Sweet potato. Sweet potato, wow, I don't think I would have got that at your age. Well done, sweet potato. Uh, right. Not quite, unless they're the same thing, so I want to it begins with S. Gone. Swede. That's a Swede. Yeah. Uh, pumpkin. Sort of. This is called a, a squash. A squash. Do you know, I've got one here. This is really cool. I had to bring this one along. This one, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, anyone who knows better, apparently this is called a mashed potato squash. Yeah. That's clever, isn't it? So, there you go. And also, this is quite a challenging one. Can anyone get... So, this is only part of one. Can anyone get what this is? It's not celery. It's, it's part of... Not cabbage. No. Begins with C. Cauliflower. There you go. We got there in the end. Now... I don't know what you think about vegetables. Some of you are like, well, it's kind of okay, you know. Now, imagine though... If that was all you had to eat, just vegetables every day. So imagine I said to you, right, for the rest of the year, until 2024, all you can eat is a plate full of vegetables. I wonder how you think about that. And then imagine you suddenly think, oh my goodness, it's Christmas. Imagine Christmas Day, everyone else is tucking into like turkeys and stuffing and puddings and all the lovely stuff. And you're there and you've just got just a few vegetables. You'd like it, would you? Wow. Most of us would think, oh, if we had to have that every day and that's all we could have, well, I'm not sure we'd, we'd like that much. You know, in the Bible, when people were really poor, sometimes that's pretty much all they could have. They couldn't afford things like meat and lovely foods like we've got today. So they would have just kind of got by on vegetables. But they couldn't afford nice food, so that was kind of all they had. But the rich people, like the kings, oh, they would have been able to have like 
the fattest calf and barbecues with all sorts of meats on and as much chicken as they wanted. Or they could have had a feast. They could have had their pizzas and their macaroni cheese. Or they could have had their hot sausages. And the, the kings could have eaten whatever they wanted. And there's one king called Solomon. And Solomon was super rich. He could have whatever he wanted. He could eat whatever he wanted. But this is something he says. Okay, so remember, he's a really rich king. He said this. It's better to eat vegetables where there is love than to eat the best food where there is hatred. It's better to eat vegetables where there is love than to eat the best food where there is hatred. You see, what Solomon's saying is love is the most important thing. It's better to eat really boring food that's just like really cheap and you don't really want to eat it. It's better to eat that but be loved by people than it is to have wonderful food and there to be no love. It's better, you know, to be a poor person who doesn't really have anything than to be a rich person who has lots of toys and lots of everything but is not loved and not loving towards other people. Now, Christmas is coming up, isn't it? Yeah, some of us open our advent calendars. I've got one this year, it's very exciting. You can open your advent calendars, can't you? And we're getting towards Christmas. And maybe you're starting to think about what you might get. Or maybe you're, you're looking at what other people might be getting and, and you feel a bit jealous about that, maybe. You know, the most wonderful thing you can have this year is to know you're loved. And I really hope that you're loved and you feel loved this Christmas. I hope you feel it from your family and your friends. And you know, we as a church, we love you guys. We love seeing you come every Sunday. We love it, it's brilliant. And you know, even if you don't feel particularly loved, you know that God loves you. And he loves you with wonderful love. And so as we come up to Christmas, and as we think about all the things in the world that you might want, I just want you to remember that there's something even better than all the riches and all the amazing food in the world, is to be loved. That is a wonderful thing. Shall we pray quickly, and then you can go. Lord God, we thank you for love. Lord, we thank you for families where there is love, and for what a wonderful thing it is. And we thank you especially that you love us. And Lord, I pray that we would realise that it's better to be poor and to have love than to have lots of uh, things in the world and yet to not be loved. So Lord, we thank you for love and I pray that we would treasure it and that we would thank the people who love us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Mark. And don't worry, Lydia, I like seafood as well, so you're not on your own there, so don't worry about that. Shall we come together again and shall we pray to God? For the Lord will rebuild Zion. He has appeared in his glory. He will turn toward the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their prayer. Let this be written for the generation to come so that the people not yet created may praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you know each and every single one of us. Not that you just know each and every single one of us. You knew each and every single one of us before we were even born. And Lord, you created us as a people to worship you. Lord, we just pray that 
as we come here this morning, that our hearts will be full of praise, full of joy and full of worship towards the great King, the great Saviour. Lord, we pray that our hearts will be bursting with praise for you. Lord, as Mark was just saying, one of the greatest things of all is love. And Lord, we can see that love shown to us by the way that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. Lord, there are many things that are happening over these next few weeks leading up to Christmas. But the most important thing of all is to remember that gift that was sent to us from above, the gift of Jesus. And we thank you for the love that Jesus showed us while he was here on earth. And he showed the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate love by laying down his life for his friends. So that each one of us who truly puts our trust in him may be forgiven for the sins that we have committed. And Lord, that is our greatest prayer, isn't it? That everybody will know that great love, that everybody will know the Lord Jesus Christ, that everyone will come and ask forgiveness for their sins and know full well that once they have asked that from the bottom of their hearts, Lord, that they are forgiven. And then we can have that eternity to look forward to, praising and glorifying and worship you in heaven. Lord, we thank you so much that you have given us so many prophets and your teaching from the Bible to teach us about who you are, teach us about your character. Show, show us um, your love and your mercy and your grace that you show towards us day by day. Because, Lord, we rebel so often and, Lord, we know that we deserve punishment, yet because of your grace, because of your mercy, because of your love, you do not show it towards us in that way, but you sent your Son to save us. Lord God, I just pray now as we come um, towards uh, Christmas time, Lord, where many events are going to be taking place, many gospel messages are going to be heard, many people maybe for the only time this year will enter a church building. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will work in and amongst all of those events. I pray that the messages that they will hear will be mighty, will be powerful, that your Holy Spirit will work in people's hearts and change them, convert them, soften their hardened hearts, Lord, and bring them to a realisation that they are a sinner and they, they need a saviour, and that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only person that can save from sins. Lord, I do pray for all of those that will be giving messages over these coming weeks, Lord. I pray that you'd really help them and bless them. We pray that you would really work through those messages that are being spoken. Lord, we just really come before you today and we... We pray for the events that have happened this week. We especially think of the wreath um, evening that happened on Friday and Saturday and the good number of people that came, the joy and the fun that was had. And we thank you for that message that was um, spoken at those events. Yet again, we just pray that that message would be a lasting message, that those women that came will still be thinking about that message now and that it will be a life-changing message for them. Lord God, we think... Um, of this coming week and especially pray for the first Tuesday lunch and the first steps party. Lord, we know that there will be many attending that and Lord, it is so wonderful that in this church we can cover all ages, whether it's the youngest to the eldest. Lord, we cater for them all, yet Lord, we just pray that, that the fun times would be had there, but most importantly, the messages that would be spoken from Mark and Kaz and Jude, Lord, would be mighty, will be powerful and would have a real impact on their lives. Lord, we thank you so much that it doesn't matter if you're young or whether you're old. Lord, your word can change the hardest of hearts, the youngest of hearts, the oldest of hearts, and we just pray that your message will work through these events. Lord, we think about those at this time that might be poorly or ill, and we especially think of Christine Bird, who's been in hospital this week with pneumonia, and we just pray that you would continue to, to be with her and bless her. Lord, we are so thankful for that older generation that we have um, in our church here, 
who show us um, a real Christian life and how to live it, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for, for their stability, for their prayers, for their grace towards us, Lord. And we just pray that you'd be with Christine at this time. Comfort her and help her and just be with her at this time, we do pray. And we pray for anyone else that might be feeling down, poorly, ill, anxious, worried, concerned about anything that's going on, Lord. We pray that that they would draw close to you. We thank you that you are the comforter, that you are a friend that draws closer than a brother. And we pray this, that you would um, work in and amongst people's lives. Heavenly Father, we just pray uh, for our service now. And we especially pray as John comes to speak to us now from these passages from Exodus. Lord, I just pray that you'd work through his word now that you would help John as he guides us through these passages, that you would be the one that would be speaking through John. May it be a real blessing to us all. May we all be um, attentive to what we hear now. And we pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before John comes up to speak to us, we're going to sing our third song. We're going to be singing God of the Ages. And again, when the music starts, please stand.
So recently in the morning we've been looking at some of these plagues of Egypt in the book of Exodus and we've taken them in threes and we're on this morning the, the last set of three, if you like, before we come to the, the very last special extra significant plague which we shall save for the new year. And if you've been here and we've been going through these incidents, these extreme events that we've called them, uh, you may be asking, well, what, what, are, what is the point of these extreme events? What's going on? Uh, well, what's being achieved by them? Uh, what, what are we to learn from them? We've had, uh, and you might sort of think back to try and remember the ones we've looked at so far, if you've been here and we've had the the, the water supply plague and we've had the frogs and the gnats and the swarms and the livestock and the sores and we're going to look at three more today and they've been certainly dramatic haven't they? Uh, possibly they've been exciting maybe they've been depressing or troubling but, but what are we to learn from them? Well, I hope there's been help as we've gone through. We've tried to pick out some standout lessons each time. Um, but today we get, uh, we get an answer in even sharper focus, if you like, as we come to the last set that we're looking at. Several times we get today in a reading that you may know, that you may know, that you may know. It was three times in our sort of long passage that we're thinking of this morning. It was something that they were to know. And not just them, it was for future generations. We've already been thinking about future generations. Well, that's clear in what we look at this morning. It's something for us to know from these events. So we're going to go through the next three. We're going to pause after two of them to look out at some of the standout lessons from them uh, and to get uh, um, more of an answer to our question by looking at that phrase that you may know. And then we're going to resume by looking at the, the third of the plagues this morning, which is going to take us in a slightly different direction, which I think will be a good one for us to finish. So you can start to see the shape of this morning. So we go to the the seventh, really, in order of these extreme events. And it's the one that there's most written about. Moses is told what to say to Pharaoh the next morning. And uh, we will pick up on a bit of what he says, some of the significant things, uh, in, in a little bit. But one thing is very clear is that Pharaoh is warned that, that hail is on its way. And that he and his people better get inside and they better get their livestock inside into a place of shelter, which some of them do. Now we've uh, all seen hail and been a bit startled by it. You think back to the, the sound of it when it starts and you see it bouncing and, and white. 
You can think back to the school lessons where the teacher can't teach anymore because all the children, all the youngsters are looking out at what's happening out through the window. We have some recollection of hail. And sometimes it can be very extreme. In 1843, especially in the sort of southeastern area of England, East Anglia and below, was one of Britain's worst ever hailstorms. It caused massive destruction and the hailstones reached up to one and a half metres deep in places. Four and a half, over four and a half feet. The General Hail Insurance Company was formed to help cope with future hailstorms, a company which would later be known as Norwich Union. In 1888, in northern India, one of the deadliest hailstorms of all time killed at least 230 people and over 1,600 sheep and goats. And the house storms were reportedly as big as oranges. So we've got a pretty big one in our picture there, but I don't think that's, that's a small orange, so I guess they were a bit bigger than that. Well, it was, certainly was a biggie that affected Egypt, and a, a supernatural big one. There was hail and there was lightning. You read about it in chapter 9 and verse 23. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke up every tree of the field. What's Pharaoh up to in all this? Well, he's in desperation again. And he even admits to being in the wrong in all that he's done so far. But when the storm has passed, he's back to his old ways. Verse 34, but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. <coughs> And then there was the locusts. Moses and Pharaoh go in and, and they ask, Moses and Aaron rather, go in and they ask Pharaoh a good question. A, a good question that might be a good one for us. They ask him, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? That's God's message and question to Pharaoh there. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? It's a good question. Now, we don't have much in the way of problem with locusts, do we? I guess the closest we get to locusts is going through a, a big field with lots of crickets clicking away in the background, uh, which is intriguing but not particularly menacing. Uh, but they can be lethal. 
So in 2020 or 2019 and 2020, there was the worst locust swarms for seven decades that hit East Africa. So in this sort of region we're talking about this morning. Even the BBC, which is not known for much of its religious references and references of faith these days, even the BBC called them the biblical locust plagues of 2020. They, they were worse for the region than COVID. They can swarm locusts, up to 80 million of them in a cubic kilometre, if you can get your mind around that. And that swarm within that cubic kilometre can eat in one day enough food for 35,000 people for the day. So you can imagine in regions where they're affected by these things, what a, what a lethal thing these are, what an extreme event they are. Well, Pharaoh tries to negotiate again. As long as the young people don't go, as long as the children don't go, uh, you can head off. But God is not to be haggled with by Pharaoh. And Pharaoh won't back down. So the worst locust swarm that's ever descended on Egypt comes with the eastern wind. That's how they tend to come in. They get blown in on the wind. And we read about it in chapter 10 and verse 14. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees and all of all that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Is there any movement in Pharaoh? I have sinned, he says. They pray. A strong west wind and it, it takes the whole lot into the Red Sea. A bit bemusing for any sailors or swimmers in the Red Sea as the massive swarm gets blown into the Red Sea. The locusts. I want us to know, notice a few brief things at, at this point. I want us to notice devastation. The plagues did bring devastation, didn't they? Pharaoh's hard heart brought devastation. The, the Lord in his justice brought devastation. And there is a, a sobering pattern here which is reflected in the Bible and in the New Testament. The path that ignores God is one that leads to destruction. In one place it's called that place of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. It is what we term hell. A, a route for us to avoid, don't you think? Perish the thought of us 
acting in such a way towards God and not responding towards God so that this becomes the thing that is heading towards us. These events do speak of devastation. They illustrate limitation. Excuse the long words, but it, it was just the way it came to me. Limitation. Even in his justice, there are limits here in what God inflicts on the rebellious. So Goshen, as a a region within Egypt, is spared again, as we've seen before. And God is, is, is actually patiently holding back what he could bring on the people, so that he says before the hail comes in verse 15 of chapter 9, for by now I could have put my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. God has been limiting what he has done up till now. Uh, The barley and the flax harvests are ruined, but the later wheat harvest is spared. The the Egyptians, even the Egyptians are invited to, to shelter themselves and their livestock to protect them from the hail that is coming. There is in God's grace and kindness, even in the context of his justice, there is some limitation and delay. Peter says this later in the Bible. The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise. Uh, The day of God's justice will come, in other words. As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I could have called limitation, really, invitation. I thought about it on my walk afterwards. The PowerPoint was done and sent off. Invitation. There is even in God's justice here some invitation for the Egyptians to shelter and be safe. And God extends that invitation to us to come to him in repentance, to turn to him for mercy. We have here what I've called placation. Placation. To placate is to try and stop somebody from being angry, from carrying out their actions. And sometimes it can be an action of sort of genuine diplomacy as you try and deal with his situation well and wisely. Sometimes it can be sort of a devious and shallow thing. Well, Pharaoh tries to placate God's wrath. And he does so with hollow and insincere repentance. Did you see that happened after both the hail and the locusts? He says that he's sinned and we think, well, this is good news. Even Pharaoh is making, this is confession time for Pharaoh. This is good news. But both times it's just a sort of surface, get me out of a fix type of repentance. And you know, we can sometimes turn to God in, in dire straits, and sometimes that's real and genuine, 
and life-changing repentance. And we praise God for that, that we turn in our difficulties. But sometimes it's just a sort of temporary get-out. And the Lord knows our hearts and he knows which one we're up to. He had just mere devious placation attempted by Pharaoh. But the biggest lesson I wanted to bring out at this stage is demonstration. Demonstration. The plagues are demonstrating something to Pharaoh about God. They're occurring that he might know something. So at the the start of the, the hail, 9.14, it says this, For this time I will send all my plagues upon you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. It's demonstrating that he is God, that he is supreme. Now, parents, you you sometimes, you you do have to make a stand for your authority, don't you, as a parent. Um, yeah, the children sometimes need to know who is boss. You don't do it, hopefully, in an insecure, sort of petty way. Um, maybe you pick your battles, but when you pick your battles, you pick them and win them, because it helps the child to know patterns of authority, gone God-given authority. And here, Pharaoh is needing to know who is in a position of authority, who is God that you may know that I am the Lord. In verse 16, just a couple of verses afterwards, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. A verse quoted later in Romans 9. God is showing Pharaoh who is in charge. So that's at the start of the hail. Well, at the end of the hail, in verse 29, we have this. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. That the Lord is in charge of the earth. That he's in overall control. That it's his world that he owns it, that if you like, the deeds are in his name, it's his patch, that the earth is the Lord. Pharaoh, you need to know this. You need to realise this, you need to submit to this. And then we have at the start of the locusts, chapter 10 and verse 2, these things are happening, that, and that you may tell in the, hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. This isn't actually to Pharaoh this time, this is to the Israelites and it's not just the Israelites, it's for their future generations, for their sons and their grandsons. This is a message to be passed down and it's to teach them and us, that the Lord is the Lord. 
So it's one of the great sort of take-homes for us from this. Do, do you realise, do, do we realise that God is God? Do we realise that it's his world? That he is the landlord, that we're on his patch, that he has made it, that he has provided, that he is the judge, that he is in overall control, that he is the sovereign Lord. Have we, have we been humbled to realise that? It's an important question. It's one of the big takeaways from these plagues, that, that God is God. Um, extreme events, the extreme events we see and go through and observe and see on the news, they're, they're, they're different from the plagues in so many ways. We have to be a bit careful sort of thinking that they're exactly the same here. But, but they, do, they, should, they do show the power of God. They do, they do show our smallness, don't they? they? They do humble us, or they should do. I remember a lad on camp there was a tremendous, tremendous uh, bolt, uh, we were just outside the Sunday school, tremendous bolt of lightning as there was a storm and he just said, wow, the power of God. He'd, he'd grasped that. That extreme events, powerful things, they are to humble us, they are to make us realise our smallness, they are to make us realise there's somebody so much greater than us. Now this isn't to undermine the awfulness of suffering, you know, there's, there's more than one mindset that you can have on this. We should be compassionate to those who are enduring extreme events. Our, our charity of the month is for relief for those in Turkey because of the earthquake there was, was it last year? That's right and it's good that we hold that sense of compassion in this broken world for all that goes on, but there should also be a sense of being humbled by these things and recognising we are small and that God is great and that God is in overall control and it sort of recalibrates us into the way we should be thinking. So there's this big demonstration in what we have been going through. Has it humbled us? It's a good question for us to ask. Has it humbled you, is it? humbling me. Well then, we kind of st- when we're going on to the third one, because I, w- I want to take this in a certain direction, I think it would be helpful. We're coming to the, the ninth one really, rather than the, rather than the third one, the third one of this time. Darkness. <coughs> Again, there's no warning, as there isn't with the, the last one of each of the three rounds. And Egypt, it seems, is just plunged into, into darkness. Well, we, we know a little bit about darkness, don't we? Perhaps a little bit more in our days of December. But even in these dull December days, uh, most of you have street lamps outside. They don't quite reach down this far, but you, most of you have street lamps outside your houses and and one of the things we love about Christmas is the different lights that are on just to sort of cheer us up and to brighten things up a bit. And we've got our light bulbs and sources of light in our house. I suppose if there's a power cut, then we know something about darkness. 
But see how complete it was in Egypt. We're in chapter 10 now, verse 22. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Couldn't even see each other. That dark, you know, it wasn't just sort of slightly dim, you know, I can't see all your facial features, but I know that you're there. They couldn't see each other. They stayed put for the time. They stayed put for three days. You could feel the darkness, it says. It must have been supernatural. There's no eclipse that lasts this long. One of their great gods of Egypt, you know some of these events really are sort of in the face of their so-called gods. One of their, one of their two great gods, it seems, was the sun god. Well, he's nowhere, is he? He's off the scene as darkness is brought onto Egypt for these days. And Pharaoh again wants to see the back of the Israelites. But he's not willing to meet the terms. And in his rage, at the end of this plague, or the end of this encounter at the start of this plague, he wants Moses to leave. And the blackness stays and sees out its period. (coughs) Now I want to end on this one because I think it can point us forward. Um, Darkness is in the Bible often a a picture of, of God's judgment, of God withholding the blessing of light. In Zephaniah, we did look at that recently, The day of the Lord is described as a day of of darkness. In the words of Jesus, hell is described as a place of outer darkness. God, who is light and in whom there is no darkness at all, withdraws his blessing and influence. It's a horrible place to be. The judgment of darkness here in Exodus, I, I think it can point us forward to something. Is that, is that where your mind is going? Points us forward to another darkness. Not, not a darkness of three days, but a, a darkness of three hours. The events that we soon come to in Exodus are full of symbolism and significance taking us to to the cross and interesting you know what happened while Jesus was at the cross in the time building up to when he when he died Mark tells us and when the sixth hour had come there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Three hours. Midday to three o'clock. And it's as if the darkness, the scene of the cross, the, the curse, if you like, is directed 
To who? To the Egyptians? Not there. To us? Not primarily there. To God's own Son. And and you can tell that because he feels this sense of abandonment as it carries on in the next verse where at three o'clock in the afternoon, after these three hours, Jesus cries with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the way to understand it is this, we deserve darkness and justice but Jesus is experiencing it instead. He is experiencing, if you like, God's frown so that we might experience God's smile. He is enduring darkness so that we might enjoy the light of the world. Jesus experiences, if you like, the coldness of blackness so that those who believe and turn to him may go to a place which is described as the place where the glory of God gives it light and where the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus has experienced the curse and the justice of God's darkness and justice for others, which is why he came down and went to the cross. So that if you trust in Jesus as your saviour, if you turn and follow him who is the light of the world, if your trust is in him, you are in a place of shelter and safety and the curse has been born for you by him instead. We've had that phrase, haven't we? I put it in the title, that you may know. And there's, a, there's another place in the Bible, there's another place in Mark, where that occurs. It occurs on the lips of Jesus. It's at the scene of the paralysed man, who's brought by his four friends, and this is what Jesus says of the man in verse 10 of chapter 2. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He tells the man to get up, and he gets up as confirmation that Jesus has forgiven his sins. Jesus has authority. He has authority to forgive sins because he has paid the price for sins by enduring the darkness and the torment of the cross. And as we look at our passage this morning, we, we come away with a sense of the authority of God in his justice, yes, but we can also come away with a sense of the authority of Jesus to forgive sins because he chose to endure the darkness and the justice of God on our behalf. Isn't that good news? If you come to Jesus in confession and trust. You can experience light and forgiveness because he has endured God's wrath for you.
That's something that I think this last plague can point to. And it leads us to our last song this morning. We're going to be taken to the cross in our last song. And you can see the link as we start the song. And I want you to just take in what Jesus has done on the cross as a wonderful antidote to some of the things that we've been thinking of through this chapter or chapters. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. Shall we sing this one through?
do help us to recognise your authority, that you are the Lord Supreme. Help us to be humble before you and not hard-hearted and resistant like Pharaoh was. Just to be genuine in our um, submission to that truth. We thank you though that wonderfully as well through Jesus there is authority to forgive sins because he has taken the load on himself on the cross out of love. And we pray that we may know the wonderful peace, joy, liberation and hope that comes through having such a saviour. Help us to be encouraged by this too we pray in his name. Amen.